everyone, I'm Bia, and welcome back to Cardiac Radio for Teens. For those of you who don't know, Cardiac Radio for Teens is a place where teens come together with other teens to learn about spiritist teachings and topics in a way that makes sense and relates to us as teenagers in today's society. For months now, almost a year at this point, we've been going through the Spirits book together, reading through it step by step to try and fully understand or understand as much as we can right now what what Alan Kardec and the spirits were trying to show us and relate to us. So we have been going through it word by word, page by page. And last week we took a little bit of a break, so I hope everyone had a really great 4th of July. But now we're going back to normal. We're going to start off where we left off. And I know that since we've it's been two weeks now, you might want to go back to the last one and refresh because we did leave off in the middle of a section. So the section we left off in the middle of, it was called The Remembrance of Corporeal Existences. So we're talking about that after you disincarnate, after you die from this physical body and this life that we're in right now, and you're in the spirit world, so what do you remember of that life, of that existence? So we were in the middle of talking about that, and we were at question 308. So question 308. Does the spirit remember all the lives that precedes the one it has just left behind? So, when the spirit gets up in the spirit world again, does it remember all of its lives that came before this one that just happened? And the spirits answered, Its entire past unfolds before it, like legs of a journey. However, if we, ha- as we have already stated, It does not recall all its actions with absolute precision, and it remembers them only according to the influence they have upon its present state. As for its earliest existences, those that may be regarded as spirit's infancy, they are lost in the void and disappear into the night of forgottenness. So what they're saying is that, yeah, they remember everything. They remember all the past lives, but the thing they only really remember the things that are important. If they wanted to focus on what happened in this life at this time when I was this this years old, they could, but they're really only focusing on the important parts and thinking, okay, I have a struggle that I'm going through right now. Why is this happening? So they trace their step back through their lives, looking at the important memories that have led up to what they're feeling now or what they're going through now. So they're not trying to remember those little itty-bitty facts that happened. They're really trying to focus on the big picture and see the big key details that are shaping them on what they are, who they are today, and what they still need to improve on. And like they said, like the earliest existences, like if we're looking at all the lives, all like the baby lives, when you're like a baby, those are kind of lost and forgotten. Because if we think about us today... We don't remember a lot of when we were a baby. Most of us remember very little, or we just remember stories that we were told. Because, yeah, we needed to learn how to talk, and we needed to learn how to walk, but we're past that. We've moved on, and we've improved, so we don't need to really focus back on those memories. We have to save that space for something else. So, So the spirits, they can remember everything, but they're really only focusing on the important key details that are affecting them still today. Question 309. How does the spirit regard the body it has just left behind? So now we're talking about the spirit kind of looking back at that body. How is it, how is it feeling? 
And the spirits answered, As an ill-fitted garment that was inconvenienced it, and which it feels happy to have gotten rid of. So what they're saying is, it's like an ill-fitted, so it doesn't fit very well, like a garment. And when they say garment, like a clothes. So let's say it's sweater. You had a big sweater that didn't really fit, and it was kind of inconvenient. You didn't really like it that much, and now you got rid of it. So they're kind of happy to get rid of it, because we know that the body, it's just, when we're looking at this eternity that the spirit has in all these existences, this life, this corporeal body that we have that's only going to last us a few years isn't that big of a deal to them. They're kind of happy to get that off their shoulders. And then there's a second part to the question, and it says, What sentiment does it experience at the sight of its body decomposing? So when they see the body, like, decomposing, what do they feel? The spirits answered, Almost always indifference. So they're kind of like, they kind of realize, okay, like, I'm the spirit, and that's just a material body. That's just, like, the clothes I was wearing. And now, you know, when the clothes gets old, you have to throw it out. You have to get rid of it. You have to recycle it, whatever you can do with the clothes. So they're just kind of looking at it like, okay, you know, it was a good time, but now it's time for it to go. And it is a thing it no longer cares about. So they kind of, it's not important to them. So yeah, maybe it was your favorite sweater, but once you get rid of it, you don't think about it anymore. So it's kind of gone out of your brain. Question 310. After a certain amount of time has elapsed, does the spirit recognize its bones or other things that has belonged to it? So they're talking. So after a certain amount of time, does the spirit recognize certain things that belong to its like material body, like bones? And the spirit answered, Sometimes, depending on the more or less evolved way in which it regards terrestrial things. So again, which this happens with a lot of questions that Kardec is asking, it's that it depends on how evolved the spirit is. Depending on the, the how evolved they are will depend will decide how how much they recognize their bones and other body parts and stuff from that existence. Question three hundred and eleven. Does the respect we have for the material things that a spirit has left behind attract its attention to them? And does it regard such respect with pleasure? So what they're trying to say here is that, like, when people pass away from this corporal existence and they leave behind little material things, whether it was their favorite sweater or pillow or anything that they liked and a little sentiment, and people keep that. So how do the spirits feel about that? How do the spirits feel about the stuff that they left behind? And the spirits answered, A spirit is always happy at being remembered. The things we save that once belonged to it awakens its memories, but it is the thought that attracts it to you, not the objects themselves. So what they're saying is that the ha the spirit, they're happy when they leave these things behind and that we remember it. We remember them by it. And it's not, it's like they're saying here, it's not about the object itself. Maybe it was just a rock or maybe it was a sweater that you're never going to wear, but... Just because they left it behind, you're thinking of the memories, not exactly the actual object. Question 312. Do spirits hold on to the memory of the sufferings they bore during their last corporeal existence? So are they holding on to those sufferings still? And the spirits answered, They frequently do, 
and this memory enables them to better appreciate the happiness they now enjoy as spirits. So they do remember what they suffered in this last existence. They remember it, and they can, they can almost feel it within them. So that makes them happier and makes them appreciate that that was only a, a little phase in their life. Question 313. Do humans who are happy on Earth regret the pleasures they were they left behind so people who they were just living life for the pleasures and for the excitement and they were happy on earth and they were having a good time when they when they get to the spirit world do they regret what they left behind are they sad and the spirits answered only low order spirits could regret the pleasures which correspond to the impurities of their nature and which they must expiate through suffering for more evolved spirits, eternal happiness is a thousand times preferable to a fleeting pleasures of earth. So what they're saying here is that only the low order spirits who are still very attached to these material things and can't see the big picture, they they feel sad. They feel like, oh no, I left my money behind. I left my car behind. I left these little pleasures that I was having on earth. But every all the more evolved spirits, they see the bigger picture and they see that it's not just about those little things, and they would prefer eternal happiness than happiness for just a few moments. And then Alan Kardec puts his own little comment in, and he says, This is exactly like mature individuals who no longer care about things that delighted them in childhood. So this he's making a comparison for us. Instead of looking at, instead of looking at tens and thousands of, or how many lives that we're going to have to go through, to become perfect, he's saying, let's look at it as one life. When we're adults, we let go of things that we held on to in our childhood. So it's just like that. They kind of, they let go because they see, they see the bigger picture now. Like maybe when you were younger, it was a toy that you couldn't let go of. And now you see the bigger picture that, okay, I didn't really need that toy to be happy. So it's kind of like the spirit when they evolve more, they're looking at the bigger picture and realizing, okay, I don't really need that. Question 314. Do those who have begun great works intend, intended for a useful purpose, but which they seem interrupted by death, laminate at having left them unfinished? So those who, they started great things. There were so many things that they were going to do. They had great ideas, and it was all for a good cause. But and then they died, and they weren't able to finish it. Do they, are they sad about leaving it unfinished? And the spirits answered, No, because they understand that others are meant to complete them. On the contrary, they try to influence other human spirits to continue them. Their aim on earth was the wellness of humankind. The aim is the same in the spirit world. So, no, these spirits aren't sad because once they get to the spirit world, they realize that this was just something for me to start. Now there's going to be other spirits that are come that are going to come and they're going to finish it for me or they're going to continue it until someone else finishes it. So they realize what their part was and now they're trying to help the other spirits to finish it. Question 315. Do those who leave their works of art or literature behind retain the love they had for them during life? So those who leave artwork or literature do they retain the love they had for them? So do they still love those things? And the spirit said, 
Depending on how much they have evolved, they often judge them differently and frequently disapprove of what they most admired. So maybe if they're less evolved, they're looking back on it and thinking, wow, they're still thinking, wow, I really love that. I really want that. Just like we were saying with the cars and the money before, if they're very less evolved, they're not seeing the bigger picture. They're just saying, oh, I really liked that, that book or I really liked that painting and I want it. But now that the, when they're more evolved and they're looking back, they realize they realize they're looking at the bigger picture and they realize, OK, maybe that wasn't so important. And sometimes they look at it differently, like they're saying here, they judge it differently because they're seeing it from a whole new perspective. Question 316. Does the spirit still have an interest in the works that are being done on Earth for the progress of the arts and sciences? So even though the spirits in the spirit world, look, do they look back on Earth and still have an interest for what's being done? Do they still kind of like care about it or are they like, Oh, I'm in the spirit world. That's not my problem anymore. And the spirits answered. Again, it depends on how much it evolves or on the mission it has to fulfill. What appears magnificent to you is often a small matter indeed to certain spirits who admire it like scholars admire the work of a student. They examine only that which demonstrates the elevation and progress of incarnated spirits. So, Again, they're saying the evolution of the spirit, that depends. If they're more evolved, they're still trying to be interested and they're still trying to help the earth evolve because they realize the bigger picture and they're trying still to do the best because that's what the more evolved spirits want. But the less evolved spirits, maybe if they didn't like earth, they'll be like, oh, good, I got rid of that. I don't want to think about it anymore. So again, it really depends on the evolution of the spirit. And like we said, this is, we've talked about, previously how this is a very case-to-case -case basis we can't just say oh every spirit is going to feel this one thing oh every spirit's going to fall in two categories there's so many categories and it's more of a case-to-case -case basis than that we can we can't really split up oh this is going to happen or this there's a lot of it depends like they said they always say it depends because there's not a clear-cut answer all the time question 317 after death do spirits retain their love for their native land? So do they still love their native land, where they came from? Do they still have that? Do they still have that passion towards it? And the spirits answered, It is always the same principle. For high-order spirits, their native land is in the universe. On earth, it is the place in which there are a greater number of people sympathetic to them. So again, they're saying, so basically they're saying it's repeatedly, so hopefully we get the point, that it's again the same principle and how evolved they are. The more evolved spirits, they're seeing the bigger picture, and they're seeing that it's not about if I was born in Italy or Brazil or the United States or France or Asia or wherever. It's not about that kind of native land because they see the big picture. They see the universe. They're not just looking at the earth. They're just not looking at at continents. They're not just looking at countries. They're looking at the universe. They're looking at this bigger picture. But those who are less evolved, like we've talked about, they're only looking at Earth. So they might still feel that maybe hatred towards some a certain place or love towards their native land. And then Alan Kardec put his own comment in and he says, The situation of spirits and their way of looking at things 
are infinitely varied according to the degree of their moral and intellectual development. Spirits of the higher orders generally make only brief stopovers on earth, since everything that is done here is so paltry in comparison with the granules of the infinite. The things that humans attribute the most important are so childless to them that this world offers them very little attraction, unless they have been called to it in order to cooperate in humankind's progress. Spirits of an average order are the ones who more frequently stay here, although they regard things from a more elevated point of view than when incarnated. Ordinary spirits are somewhat sedentary, and they comprise the mass of their surrounding populations of the invisible world. With little difference, they hold on to the same ideas, tastes, and tendencies as they had in their corporeal envelope. They get involved in our meetings, our businesses, our entertainments, in which they take part more or less actively according to their character. Since they can no longer satisfy their passions, they take pleasure in being with those who have handed themselves over to theirs, and they excite them in such individuals. Nonetheless, among them, there are some who are more serious and who watch and observe in order to acquire knowledge and evolve. So here, basically, he just explains more, which might have made it more confusing, but he explains more about this concept of the different evolutions of spirits. The ones who are very evolved, who are almost at the top, they kind of, they don't have much to look at on Earth, unless Earth is, like, needing some help right now. So then they'll come, and they'll try and to help Earth progress and humankind progress. But if they're not really needed, they're not really trying to hang around Earth. They're looking at the bigger picture. And then, like they said, there's just the average, the average spirits who, you know, they're not terrible, but they're not perfect yet. They're average. Those are the ones who stay around the most, but they, they're looking at it from a better point of view. Okay, they weren't perfect, but they're still, they're still looking at it like, wow, they're looking at it, oh, what I did in Earth, I could help someone not make that mistake, and they're trying to kind of help out like that. And then there are spirits who are very, who are less evolved, who are just sticking around because that's what they know, they don't want to change, they want to leave, they don't want to leave, or some are observing to try and evolve. Okay, I made this mistake, how can I fix it? So there are so many cases that we can't split it up and say this is going to happen or this is going to happen. We really got to broaden our minds. Question 318. Do spirits' ideas change in the spirit life? So once they go to the spiritual world and they disincarnate from this body, do their ideas change? And the spirits answered, very considerably. Their ideas undergo large modifications as they become more dematerialized. They may sometimes hold on to the same idea for a long time, but little by little the influence of matter diminishes and they see things more clearly. It is then that they seek ways to improve. So they said very considerably, so they do change ideas a lot, and they said, but it takes a while. The more they become dematerialized, because once they first, it's not like poof, in one second, they completely change their idea. It gradually gets there. So first, 
they first disincarnate and they're still very attached to the material world so they still have their material ideas and once they start opening up to the bigger picture then I, their ideas change say maybe if they're thinking they're thinking about only their house and then they start thinking about their neighborhood and then they start thinking about their county and then their state and then their country and then their world and then the universe so they're becoming more dematerialized and they're expanding and then they're seeing things in new ways and then once they're dematerialized then they can start thinking okay now i see what i've done what i should be doing how can i improve so the more dematerialized they get the more that they're looking at the bigger picture and not focusing on little material things like money and cars and clothes or whatever it may be question 319 since the spirit has already lived the spirit life before its incarnation why is it so astonished when it re-enters the spirit world so the question is saying here that the spirit basically keeps going back and forth between the spirit worlds okay now you got to go now you got to go to our our world as we know it right now and then you kind of keep going back and forth. So why do when they go back to the spirit world, they're so surprised? But they've been there before, so why are they surprised? And the spirits answered, This is only the effect of the first moments and the state of confusion following its awakening. Later, it recognizes its state perfectly as the memory of the past returns and impresses the terrestrial life fades away. So what they're saying here is that this is only right in the beginning, because right when they disincarnate, they're kind of confused. They're like, wait, am I on Earth? Where am I? They're kind of confused. They're not understanding it. But once they realize, once they get out of that state of kind of confusion, they kind of wake up. They realize, oh, wait, I've been here. I know what I'm doing. And then they get, and then they get more towards the spirit world instead of being so hung up on Earth. So now we have a little bit of time left, and we're moving on to the next part. So we'll introduce the next topic that we're going to be talking about. And this part is called the commemoration of the dead, funerals. So now we're talking about, okay, so now this spirit has disincarnated. they gone to the, back to the spirit world. But let's talk about the, pure, the people who are still incarnated, the people who are still on Earth, who are going to make a funeral or who are trying to are mourning over this person. So we're talking about that. So let's read the first question. Question 320. Are spirits sensitive to being remembered by those who love them on earth? So are they sensitive to they want to be remembered and they want to be loved by those who love them on earth? And the spirit answered, much more than you may suppose. Being remembered adds to their happiness if they already have it if they are already happy and console them if they are disponent. So it, if they're happy, it makes them more happy. And if they're not that happy, it gets them a little bit of hope. They feel better when they see that they're remembered, that when they see that they really were loved. That makes them feel good. Question 321. Does, remor does Memorial Day hold a more solemn meaning for spirits. Do they prepare to visit those who pray while over their graves? The spirits answered. Spirits answer to the calls of thoughts on the day, on that day, as on all others. 
So if there's people mourning at their grave, they're saying here specifically on like Memorial Day, but they're not, they call, they respond to that on Memorial Day, but they respond to that all the time, every day they're saying here. So then there's a second part to this question and it says, is it for them a meeting day at their graveside? So is it a meeting day? Are they meeting kind of with you? And the spirits answered, they assemble in greater numbers on that day because the number of people who call them is larger, but each one only pays attention to its friends and not the crowd of indifferent people. So yeah, they do assemble in greater numbers that day because there's more prayers. There's more pay people reaching out, but they pay attention. They're not paying attention to the large group. They're paying attention to those who are calling for them, their friends who are remembering them and loving them. And then there's another part to this question, and it says, In what form do they come, and what would they look like if they could make themselves visible? And the spirits answered, They would look like what they did while alive. So, it would look like as if they were alive. It's like if you're having a conversation, but you just can't see the other person. And that's where we'll leave off today and keep us thinking. And maybe if you have your own questions, we'll see if we answer it next week about this topic. But before we leave off today, I'd like to read our daily book of positive quotations for today's date, July 11th. Room at the top. There is always room at the top. In a zero-sum game, no one can win without someone else suffering a corresponding loss. Fortunately, Life is not a zero-sum game, though there are some who seem to believe that it is. We don't have to push others aside to be winners, and we don't have to enjoy our, success, our successes alone. In fact, sharing our successes with others can make them much more meaningful and pleasurable. I want to succeed and to include others with me as I do. I'm Bia. Thank you all for listening. Obsession. A true story. The unfolding of a very complex process of obsession, with its main roots planted deep in the mysterious soil of past incarnations, with many implications projected into the future of those involved. Hello again. Welcome, everyone, to our reading and discussion of the book Obsession. I'm Mark, and in today's discussion, we're going to be looking at the chapter entitled Insanity. And this book, in this chapter, is going to delve even further into the problems that we saw in chapter one, where Esther, the daughter, the 15-year-old daughter of the Santa Marias, becomes ever, ever more so insane. And we're going to be looking today at not only what happens to Esther, but also what is the response of the family and how the response of the family may 
help us to understand the afflictions of the family in many ways and what the power of prayer can be to address the problems that the Santa Marias are facing. So there's a lot of important lessons that we're going to learn. So we're going to begin the reading now, and then after the reading, we're going to do a prayer after we talk about the value and importance of prayer to our lives. Chapter 2, Insanity. In the second case, corporeal subjugation, the spirit acts on the material organs and provokes involuntary movements. Medium's Book, Chapter 23, Item 240. In spite of occasional sunshine, the following day was hot and overcast. In Colonel Santa Maria's apartment, grief had taken a strong hold on everyone. Esther did not recover complete consciousness. From the extreme prostration the sedatives had imposed on her the night before, she emerged into a permanent state of crisis. The former charming young girl changed into an insane, irresponsible one. She gestured offensively, and obscenities poured out of her mouth continuously. Constant screams and sudden uncontrolled guffaws made her voice hoarse. Her face was pale and blemished with bluish circles under her eyes. Her lips were dark and her eyes flashed out a colorless, hard, ominous look. Spasmodic convulsions shook her body from time to time. Her agonized face showed the excruciating pain she was experiencing. Sometimes she seemed to waken to consciousness and then complain that someone was whipping her mercilessly, mentioning the impossibility of escaping her tormentor. Her face would then flush and at a closer observation one could see red lashes on her delicate skin, particularly on her congested face. And then she would fall again into a spell of madness, sarcasm, and affront, storming out as if the furies were riding her. The competent physician who had attended her the previous night had advised that should a relapse occur, a specialist in nervous disease ought to be consulted, because the aggravating symptoms pointed to a serious case of hysteria which could possibly develop into a long-term disease. The girl, he had said, is going through a period of transition in which specific personality traits begin to settle and sex impulses are intensified. As a good disciple of Freud, the doctor had gone on discursing on the libido and its impact upon the mechanisms of emotion. The alarmed parents did not know what to do, the family doctor confirmed his colleague's diagnosis. It was indeed a case of hysteria with the prospect of alarming complications. A psychiatrist should be consulted as soon as possible. A noted psychiatrist was called and the treatment began immediately. At first the girl was kept in her, her home, but unfortunately no significant improvement was noticed. In fact, she was even getting worse her physical resistance collapsing because she refused any food. In order to keep the physical balance, artificial nourishing drugs had to be forced into her. After three days of unsuccessful attempts, despite all clinical and family care, the doctor recommended hospitalization so that an adequate treatment could be conducted. He also believed that it was important to isolate her from the family circle where he thought lay the unconscious causes of her traumas and mental disharmony. 
According to him, the home environment was interfering with the recovery process. Since there was no alternative, her parents had to agree. Under a heavy dose of sedative, Esther was taken into a well-known mental home located in a beautiful site by the seaside in Rio. They hoped the place would contribute to help her recovery. Nevertheless, despite the use of the best-known resources of modern psychiatry, the young patient could not be subtracted from her harassing hallucinations. New forms of disorder were manifested every other day. She was constantly referring to the need to avenge some outraged honor that must be washed in the blood of a victim, to a long-awaited justice and to personal revenge. Within a month, she was no more than a shadow of herself. Her figure had improved because medical treatment helped her to keep an apparent vitality, but she had gone utterly insane. No experiment had been neglected, but she would not recover lucidity. She would not even respond to shock treatment. It left her dull instead. At first, this reaction was considered improvement, but later it proved to have been only the consequence of the blocking of the nervous reactions, resulting in a temporary control of her mental disorder. The girl's desperate parents did not know where to turn. Being used to traditional faith without the support of a strong religious belief, they could only recite conventional prayers that turn out to be empty commands to God, from which they got no comfort. Concentrated in the need to bring their daughter back to mental health, they prayed as someone who pays a fees to God in order to be released from an unpleasant duty. They had not learned to cultivate meditation through which life forces and peace flow into our beings, helping us to keep the physical body in balance. They usually returned from their religious services with a withered mind and a revolted heart. A sullen resentment against everything and everybody deepened their inner depression. They felt hurt in their pride and touched in the foolish susceptibilities that are praised too highly by those who live on this plane of futilities. Because of that, they were confused and experienced conflicting emotions concerning their own daughter. Love, shame, humiliation, resentment. As time went by, a morbid and silent acceptance of the truth began to change the home atmosphere, while an identical attitude gradually began to be shown by the doctors who looked after the girl. The initial concern, urgent and insistent, soon developed into an implied understanding of one reality. The girl was past recovery. And then came the alarming and irreversible final diagnosis, schizophrenia. Even today, the simple uttering of such word still sounds as a dreadful curse. Well, this is a very interesting chapter, and one of the things we might take a look at here from the point of view of spiritism is looking at um, the way in which the family interprets and responds to the problems that are faced that their daughter is facing. The daughter is facing a definite illness that is really affecting the way in which she is able to control her emotions, her mind, her thoughts, her body, She's losing control of, basically, herself. And we can see here the degree to which 
psychiatry at the time, and we can think about whether or not it's all that much different now, in the, in the era of modern psychiatric drugs, where there really isn't much difference. The focus of the treatment is just simply on giving the person control and blocking the mental reactions and saying, okay, this is happening, so let's find a way to stop it, right? But it's not thinking about the spiritual causes of the illness and the fact that there may be very multi-dimensional spiritual causes that are underlying what we're seeing here. And we're seeing hints here in this chapter of some of the difficulties that the Santa Marias have with the spiritual aspects of life. Do you notice that the prayers that they're giving are very conventional ones, right? What we're seeing here is that God is like someone we pay a fee to, right? The, the colonel and his wife are seeing it as a prayer, as like a bargain, asking for God to basically help them, right? To give them the, to, to give them the, the solution to their problems, but almost in a prideful way. Rather than thinking about, I'm submitting to the will of God here. Instead, what we're doing is sort of a prideful bargaining. Okay, God, what's going on? You tell me. Um, this is a fee that I have to pay. So uh, why don't you just, uh, okay, what I'll do is I'll pray and then we'll negotiate together. But we can't negotiate with God in that way. We can't be at the same level as God. God's not somebody that we can, um, that we can pay or God isn't, we can't negotiate God's love. And you notice here as a result of that, how confused and conflicted the Santa Marias feel. They feel love for their daughter, but they also feel shame, humiliation, resentment. They feel as if the, this pride sort of imposing on themselves, and they, they feel as if things should be better, and they're not, and as a result, they get discouraged. And that's exactly what the Gospel according to Spiritism predicts will happen in chapter 27, if you have this prideful bargaining type relationship with God. And it's so important to look at that chapter 27. It's called Ask and it shall be given, because in that chapter it talks about the importance of prayer and how prayer is the essential aspect of our life. I mean, it should be the the ultimate end of our life is prayer, right? We should be thinking about how how prayers should be part of our life. Every, every moment of every life, we should be working to better ourselves, to become a better person, to be grateful for what we have. But the good spirits always say that God helps those who help themselves. But you can't just wait for outside assistance, the spirits say. You have to make an effort on your own. You have to work towards being a better person morally. Prayers can help us to guide, they say, our free will towards the good and to guide our free will from any bad thoughts or bad tendencies which cause us harm. But what's important to realize is that they can't be formulaic. They can't be filled with pride. Instead, we need to present ourselves with humility towards God. 
right? And we need to say with sincerity, faith, confidence, fervor, and not with arrogance, that we will ask God for help to better ourselves, to resist evil, to be shown the way, to be shown, to be given patience, to be given faith to help deal with these issues and to help to understand, Lord, what is happening in the life of my family, in the life of our, of our beautiful daughter right now? What is going on in our lives? Help us to see the way that we can understand what's happening and be able to help to improve ourselves and to improve our family and to improve, um, guide us to show us what to do. And that's not what the Santa Marias did, right? Instead, they saw the, the prayer as a bargain. And so it's important for us to realize that in order to really be able to harness the power of prayer, we need to be humble and we need to understand how important our own self-improvement is in our lives. And hopefully we pray that the Santa Marias will recognize the value of self-improvement and the value of working towards their own moral betterment so that they prayer will become more so that prayer will become something that the, the good spirits they will be able to connect to the good spirits through prayer and be able to be given a direction and assistance through that so right now let's say a prayer for ourselves because i think it's important for us to all realize how important the lesson is uh, of this chapter so we don't fall into the same trap when it comes to prayer. Dear God, thank you for the gift of prayer, for the gift of the connection that we have to you. Knowing that prayer is something that connects us to our deepest recesses of ourselves so that we may find ways in which to guide ourselves away from any tendencies that we have which may be setting us back or making us have difficult circumstances in our lives, whether that's an addiction or a tendency to belittle people or a tendency to be too angry and uncharitable towards others who may a tendency to be greedy and to think that other people might be trying to get something more than we have. Help us, Lord, to guide ourselves towards a constant recognition that it's our own thoughts that are a project that we're working on. And through prayer, we can connect with ourselves and connect with our divine essence. And we ask, Lord, that if we're facing any difficulties in our own families right now, loved ones that may be sick, we ask now for patience and the continued faith in you, Lord, for we know that you do no harm, that all that you're doing in our lives and in our families is helping us with our own betterment 
Guide us, O Lord, to see the path towards improvement in all aspects of our lives, even when things are difficult and challenging. Dear Lord, thank you for the bottom of our hearts. We are so grateful for all that you've given us and all that we continue to be blessed with in our lives. And so be it. Well, I hope that this chapter helps us to understand the value of prayer. And I look forward to seeing you all next week.